Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Well, today we are looking at another sacred question, and I'm going to mix things up a little bit. I'm actually going to give you the question early, right out of the gate, uh, because I think this question is a question that all of us can identify with, and it's one of the hardest questions to answer, even in really simple, uh, maybe silly kind of circumstances. And so the question that we're going to look at together today is the question, what do you want? And I don't know if you're like me, uh, I'm willing to bet if you've ever been in a relationship or you have family members or a roommate or have spent any amount of time with any other person, uh, you've probably encountered a scenario where this question was hard to answer. Uh, For me, it shows up in the evening a lot of the times when we're trying to decide in my house what we're going to watch. We'll sit on our couch and like scroll through and pull up Netflix or whatever it is that we're watching. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but what we can tend to do is we scroll through We'll say, hey, what do you want to watch? And look at all the different options. We have more options than we've ever had before right at our fingertips. And we'll go through and sometimes like I'll add stuff that's on my list, but I'm like, Ashley doesn't want to watch this. So maybe later I'll watch that or she'll find something that she wants to watch. And we can sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll. And we can spend an hour. I'm not exaggerating. Like we can just sit there and look at all the other options, talk about it, try and decide. And what typically happens is by the end of that hour, we're like, you know what? We're just kind of tired. Like, let's go to bed. And so we don't ever watch anything because nobody decided what we really wanted. So I don't know if that's just me. Uh, I think all of us have probably experienced the frustration and the challenge of trying to decide what do you want for dinner? Uh, In fact, I saw this on Twitter this week. Uh, It says this, that relationships are just two people constantly asking each other where they want to go to eat until one of them dies. Is that true for anybody's experience? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's like, preach, tell them. Yeah. Uh, I actually had this experience of somebody who knew exactly what they want, apparently, uh, through my daughter. So she is three years old. She's going to turn four in just a few weeks. And so we've started talking about uh, her birthday party and what that's going to look like. She knew right out of the gate what kind of a theme she wanted. She's like, I want a car's birthday party. So that's what we're doing. We're planning a car's birthday party. But I also heard a rumor that the past couple of weeks around church, she's been going around to people in the lobby and asking them, what are you going to get me for my birthday? (laughs) And so just for the record, don't let her do that to you, okay? Because that's not cool. And uh, I I, like have mixed feelings. I'll have this like dad pride of like, yeah, she knows what she wants and she's going to get it. And like, don't do that to people, Eden. Like you can't. So anyway, uh, I don't know if you've had an experience like that, trying to answer the question, like what do you really want? But uh, whether it feels like an annoying question or an important question, what we're going to talk about today is how this question can actually be a sacred question when we hear it as it's asked by God of us. What do we really want? And uh, we began this conversation last week about sacred questions. And essentially what we're talking about, when we talk about a sacred question, it's a question that God asks of people that can open us up to experiencing him in a new way. Uh, It may be surprising to you, but if you go through the pages of scripture, more often, rather than God offering an answer or offering a direction to some of the people that he's encountering, More often than not, God shows up at the turning point in people's story and he offers them a sacred question that causes them to rethink what they're doing, that causes them to have the courage to step out. And it happens all throughout the story, whether it's the prophets or the people of Israel or or great leaders like Moses or David, God will show up 
and he'll ask these probing questions that go beneath the surface that can open people up to experiencing him in a new way. And although uh, for many of us, we can be tempted to assume that faith is actually all about having the right answers, what we're saying here at Story is, is that an important part of faith is asking the right questions too that wrestling with these questions can actually draw out more of our hearts and can open us up to experience God in a different way. And these sacred questions actually have the power to almost like excavate us, to, to open us up to experience what God is doing in this moment in our lives and how we can respond to him. And so uh, we're gonna do that again today. And we're trying to explore these questions, not just as individuals and how it can impact our lives individually, but we're trying to explore these questions in the context of community. So I gave you the punchline earlier with the question. I'm gonna give you the pitch early too, uh, because what we've been saying the last week and this week is that it's valuable for us to be known and to ask these questions in the context of a loving community. And that's why we have groups here at Story. Uh, we are in the process of launching our groups and they're gathering together and actually asking these two questions that we've talked about last week and this week uh, together. And so if you're interested in that at all or as we go uh, throughout our time together, like you can go to storypru.com groups and sign up and give it a try because I really believe that as powerful as these questions can be for us as individuals in our faith journey, it's even more powerful when we have people who know us and love us and surround us and help us navigate our answers to these questions together. But last week we started the conversation uh, by looking at a moment in scripture where Adam and Eve hide from God and God shows up and he asks the sacred question, where are you? Uh, we looked at how Adam and Eve were asked that question. We looked at how the prophet Isaiah in a different way was asked that question. And in a moment where he wanted to shrink away from God, uh, God actually approached him and called him out in a way that he could show up and say, hey, I'm not hiding, but here I am. Here I am in front of you. And what we discovered together last week is that in this question, uh, where are you? God invites our whole person to show up before him. God invites us to show up just as we are in front of him. And sometimes we're tempted to think we need to clean ourselves up before we can show up to God. Some of us think we need to clean up our act before we're good enough for God to meet with us. But uh, I mean, sometimes, honestly, we can only show parts of ourselves that we think are clean enough or good enough for others. But God seems to be saying through this question, like, hey, I'd like to work with you on the cleanup. And all you have to do is show up that if you'll show up to me and bring your full self to me, then I'll meet you there and I'll help move your story forward. And we talked about last week how that's a powerful reality in our individual lives. It's a powerful thing for our own healing and our own faith journey, but it's also important as it relates to one another and as it relates to the calling that's on each of our lives, because not only are you meant to live a whole and healthy life, but I believe you're here on this planet for a reason that you have a contribution to make and none of us can make our best contribution if we're hiding who we really are. So God calls us out. He asks, where are you? So that we can show up and we can say, hey, here I am to do the work that you've called me to do, to be the person that you've called me to be. And ultimately what we wanna do today is what we did last week again. We wanna ask one of these sacred questions that God asks in scripture. We wanna ask it of ourselves. We wanna explore it and see the context and the, the reason why God maybe asked this question and how it can impact our faith journey today. And the question that we're looking at together today actually comes directly from Jesus. It's this question that Jesus asks, and in the encounter that we're going to look at, I think it's one of the more uh, beautiful, compelling, but maybe in some ways unsettlingly human encounters, bless you, uh, it's one of the most like unsettlingly human encounters that Jesus has. I think all of us can actually find ourselves in the story if we're willing to look at it together. And what happens in this encounter is Jesus 
asks an unexpected question to an unexpected character, and even the answer to this question uh, comes out in a kind of unexpected way. So we're going to find it today in one of the Gospels, and just to give you some like Bible 101 refresher, uh, the Gospels are the four books found at the beginning of what's called the New Testament. It's like right in the middle, basically, of the Bible, Uh, and there's four different accounts of Jesus's life. They're known by their authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of these accounts, if you've ever like tried to read them and notice like there's differences between them, the reason is each of these authors wrote these books, these accounts of Jesus's life for specific reasons. They wrote them to specific audiences or to capture kind of an angle on Jesus's life. And uh, so just like any good storyteller, they included details or, or didn't include details to try and tell the story of Jesus in their own way. And so we're going to look specifically at uh, the book of Mark or the gospel of Mark, which has its own voice and flavor and perspective on Jesus's life. And we're going to look at this encounter that Jesus has with a beggar on the side of the road. Here's how Mark talks about it. He says, then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. Bartimaeus jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. So let me give you a little context about uh, what's happening in this moment because this encounter is recorded towards the end of Mark's gospel. So Jesus has been on the earth. He's been doing his ministry for a while. His movement has been building. And at this point, he has followers and friends with him. Uh, In fact, at this point, they're leaving Jericho and they're getting ready to make the journey towards Jerusalem, which is essentially where Jesus is gonna have his final showdown. It's like his moment to shine in his ministry. If you know anything about the story of Jesus, all of the stuff we celebrate at Holy Week and at Easter, that's what happens when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. So there's all this momentum going on in the Jesus movement at this point, and Jesus has this like entourage with him, these followers who are trying to figure out, is Jesus really the guy that he says that he is? Is Jesus really the one who's gonna set everything right? And I think with that in mind, it strikes me that it kind of makes sense for us in this moment that this crowd around Jesus, his entourage, uh, actually tell this beggar to go away. Maybe it seems kind of cruel to us, but in this movement, like the movement is moving and it's getting bigger and bigger and there's all this momentum moving forward. And in that moment, as they're heading out of the city, the beggar seems like a distraction from all of that. The beggar seems like this interruption to the important work that Jesus is going to do. And uh, if he's really a beggar, right, it's not like he needs the head guy's attention. It's not like he needs Jesus's attention because he's just asking for a buck or two and anybody could give him that. And so the people are like, hey, be quiet. Like somebody will take care of you. You don't need Jesus right now. Don't you know what we're doing? Like this is important work where we're heading. But the guy ignores all of that. He ignores the entourage. He keeps crying out. And eventually Jesus calls to him and asks him to stand before him. And I think something just out of the gate here, it's kind of a sidebar to where we're going, but it's important for us to notice it's important to notice that this isn't the only moment in the story of Jesus where the people who were closest to Jesus actually got Jesus wrong. This isn't the only time where the people who were like on team Jesus, they were a part of Jesus Incorporated, that they actually got Jesus and his heart and his intentions wrong because the beggar is crying out to Jesus and the people think, hey, he, he doesn't want anything to do with you. 
right? We're busy. There's, there's enough happening. He's got important stuff to do. So they dismiss him. But Jesus actually invites him in. And for us today, it's important for us to remember that the common way that people on Team Jesus tend to get Jesus wrong is they think Jesus would want nothing to do with people that Jesus is actually very taken with, that Jesus is actually very interested in. And I want to call that out because today, some of us in the room today, you would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm Team Jesus. I'm trying my best to follow him. But the same danger is on the table for us. We are just as likely to get Jesus wrong as those first century followers who are right there with him. The people who are in the closest proximity to Jesus, the people who spent the most time with Jesus, maybe for you, like you show up and you're in a row, you're in a seat every single week, you're doing your thing, you're trying to show up, can also be the people who most often get Jesus wrong. And often that happens when we exclude the people that Jesus is interested in being with, that Jesus is interested in and inviting in. So that's just kind of a gut check for us out of the gate today, like to be the people who are close to Jesus and understand his heart for others. And in this story, I also want to acknowledge, like there may be some people in the room today who you don't identify with the crowd, you identify with the beggar because you know what it feels like to feel like you're pushed to the outside of what God is doing, right? Maybe maybe a Jesus follower has made you feel like you were on the outside of what God was doing that you didn't belong, that you weren't welcomed in, that somehow you were outside of the chain link fence that uh, the church has. And man, if Jesus people have ever made you feel like you were on the outside looking in, I want you to see how Jesus responds in this moment because Jesus doesn't push the beggar away. Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring him right in front of me. And so it may be that the people who are excluding you or who excluded you were the ones who got it wrong, that Jesus might actually be very interested in you and very open to you being a part of his movement. But for all of us, if we're honest, like this is a little uncomfortable for us to admit maybe, but if we're honest, if we walk by a beggar who's begging on the street, many of us tend to make some assumptions right out of the gate, don't we? Like we don't want to admit it. We feel bad about it maybe even to talk about it, especially in church. Uh, But maybe like you've seen somebody on the side of the road. Often it's in big cities. You'll see people like by the highway with a cardboard sign asking for money. Maybe you've seen somebody like that and you've made some assumptions about them. I mean, most of us, at the very least, we assume they want some money, right? They want us to roll down the window and throw whatever change we have out or whatever dollars we have out. Uh, Maybe, I've been here before, maybe you're kind of naturally skeptical about it. Like you see somebody out there and you're like, yeah, but is this just like their panhandling grift thing they do where they're out here and they're just like ripping off good people with good hearts who are trying to help them? Like we can all fall into that. The guy by the side of the road is kind of like a character to us. Right? We, we all kind of have somebody or, or some image that pops in our mind when we talk about a beggar like that. And, and at the very least, we make the assumption, like they're begging, so they want money, right? I mean, it's easy to assume what a beggar needs or wants because they're begging for it. And that's what makes what Jesus does next so surprising and so powerful because Jesus brings the man in front of him and he simply asks, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And I can imagine that crowd that's around Jesus, like the entourage, I can imagine they're kind of embarrassed of Jesus at this moment because it should be obvious, right? The man's been crying out. He's probably been at this point in the city for weeks, if not months, if not years. And it almost feels offensive because the man's been crying out and Jesus is like, hey, what what do you want? what What are you doing here? Like I could see that they're like, it's obvious what he wants. He's a beggar, just give him some money. But Jesus doesn't do that. See, in this moment, Jesus assumes that there is more going on in this person 
than what appears on the surface. And, and so Jesus calls him in front of him, and, and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And it seems kind of embarrassing, maybe on the surface, that Jesus doesn't know what the beggar wants, but I think maybe it should be more embarrassing for those of us who find ourselves in the crowd, who make an assumption about people as if they're one-dimensional characters who only want one thing, rather than doing what Jesus did and, and pulling a person in front of him and seeing them as a three-dimensional person with a story, right? Not just a character in a story, but a person with a story, a person with hopes and dreams and wants and desires and so much more to them than what they appear on the surface. And so Jesus calls the man in front of him and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? Or as we're exploring it together to maybe simplify it, again, the question I want us to wrestle with in this moment is if God is asking us, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? I think this is one of the most beautiful and profound questions that God can ask of us in our faith journey if we really wrestle with it, if we really engage with it. And the reality is to actually engage in this question, like what do you really want in this moment? It means we have to talk about this word, desire. And desire can feel like a bad word in church, can't it? Like in church, often desire feels like the thing we need to keep in check. We need to keep bottled up. We need to make sure it doesn't run wild. Uh, Desire can feel dark and scary and difficult and confusing to navigate, like to know what's a good desire and what's not a good desire and and what's of God and what's not of God. Uh, Desire, to some degree, kind of feels like you can open up Pandora's box. Like if you really look in there, it's all just going to come out and things are going to go crazy and go off the rails. Uh, There's lots of types of desires that we can all have, and they can lead us in lots of different directions. Uh, But my friend, uh, Jason Miller at South Bend City Church, uh, one time he made this statement that I think is so true of our experience in this world. He said, to be human is to be a wanting animal. In other words, desire is just kind of baked into our operating system. All of us are born with all kinds of desires. And I've experienced this with my daughter because, again, she's three, almost four. She's in that testing the limits phase uh, as a little kid where she tries to figure out, like, where's the line? And then once I cross it, how far can I go? And so all the time she does stuff. And if we have to correct her, we'll say, hey, you can't do that. Her response more often than not right now is, but I want to. Right? And so I have to tell her, like, I know you want to. That doesn't mean you get to, right? Like, there's rules around here, believe it or not. And and the truth is, I think all of us have a little bit of that three-year-old voice in our head still, don't we? Like, we want to. We have desires. We have things we want to chase after. We have things we want to do in life, things we want to accomplish, things we want to have, things we want to feel. And to have desire is to be a human. Like, that's not bad to have those desires in us. Some of us, we have desires that we know are driving us. You're driven to be excellent at work. You're driven to be a great dad or a great husband, a great mom, a great family member, whatever that looks like. Uh, You want to be a great member of this community. Like you have desires that are driving you. Many of us have desires that we aren't aware are driving us. Things that are under the surface that we're looking for that maybe we've never named before, but it, it shaped us and it shaped our stories more than we recognize. Many of us, maybe you have a desire that you discovered early on wasn't going to be met. And because of that, because of whatever you experienced back then, you've been looking to like fill that hole or fill that void with something somehow. And it can lead us in all kinds of different directions along the way. Some of us know what we want. Others of us think we know what we want, but we actually have no idea what we want. And many of us can feel lost in want when it relates to desire. But the question that breaks all of that open is when God asks us, what do you actually want? 
right? Really, what is it that you want? And one reason I think answering this question can be really uncomfortable for us is that there's all sorts of things that all of us want that aren't actually worth wanting. Isn't that true? All of us have desires that we know actually aren't good for us or good for others. All of us, like there's such a thing as unworthy desire or unhealthy desire or destructive desire or to throw the church word on it, sinful desire. Like like that's in there. That's somewhere in the equation for all of us. And uh, in fact, uh, misplaced desire shows up in Jesus's story as well. Because when Jesus asked the beggar, what do you want me to do for you? It wasn't the first time he asked that question. But actually just a few verses earlier, Jesus asked that question and he got a less than sacred answer. We're gonna see in just a little bit that the beggar's answer to Jesus's question is beautiful and it's honest and it can be profound. But before that, let me take you back because a few verses earlier, James and John were hanging out with Jesus. Some of Jesus's closest friends, some of his most devoted followers, these were like core leaders in the Jesus movement. They were hanging out with Jesus and they started to ask him a question. It says this, that then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Bold move, right? (laughs) To ask that for Jesus. And so Jesus asked the sacred question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? See, in this moment, Jesus responds almost in like a scathing or scolding way to their answer. He he asks the sacred question, but he gets a not so sacred answer back because he's like, hey, what do you guys really want? And their answer is, we want your glory, right? We wanna be a big deal like you're a big deal. We wanna be important. We wanna have power along the way. And it's a picture of unworthy desire. And sometimes I think the gift of this question, when God asks it of us, what do you really want, is that it brings to the surface some of the smaller, lesser, petty desires that can drive us day in and day out. If we really honestly ask the question and answer the question, like, what do we want? Maybe lesser things will come to the surface, that we want prestige, that we want to be important, that we want to feel like we matter to somebody. And again, not all of that's bad, but in our pursuit of it, we can get off track from what God ultimately wants for us. But the power of the question is once we name those lesser things that are driving us, it actually gives us the opportunity for it to lose some of its power. That if we can be honest with ourselves, if we can name the lesser things that are driving us, it can have a little less power over me and you because we're aware of it. And sometimes that's half of the battle. And I think in this moment, it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, did you, did you hear what just came out of your mouth when I, when I asked you what you want? Like, and I wonder for how many of us today, if Jesus was here right now and he asked you the question, hey, what can I do for you? If we, in a moment of honesty, told him the truth, I wonder how many of us would have smaller answers too. How many of us, once we heard it, we would be like, oh, that's what's driving me. That's what's moving me forward. Like we would name or reveal an unworthy desire that's driving us, this need for approval. Uh, Maybe a a desire that we know is bad for us and it's bad for the world, it's bad for other people. Uh, A desire for status or something like that. And maybe you're saying it's actually good for us to admit that. Because in naming it, it can lose its power. In being aware of it, we can do something about it along the way. And the good news is, Jesus didn't give up asking the question. See, Jesus didn't ask, hey, what do you want from me? And get a bad desire answer and decide, well, the answer to bad desire must be no desire, right? Not asking that again. 
Rather, Jesus went on and he asked this question again because Jesus knows the answer to our bad desires is better desires. The answer to bad desire is something better. The answer to our lesser desire is to actually get past the surface level, ego-driven stuff that we can all fall into and to figure out the stuff that our soul really craves, the deeper wants, the deeper longings that all of us have. There's an author and theologian named C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, he was kind of a great modern theologian of his day. Uh, He wrote this about the nature of our desires. He said it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that true? Like, like so often we settle for lesser desires rather than actually doing the work of getting honest with ourselves and drilling down and understanding what the deeper desires we all have really are, the things that our soul actually craves. And I think if Jesus is the one who keeps asking the question, what do you really want? Maybe he's doing so because he's inviting us to tap into those deeper, truer desires. He's inviting us to live our one life with a whole open heart, actually understanding the deeper things that we want. Because the truth is, like once you realize the deeper thing that you want, it, it frees you from the lesser thing, but it also frees you to pursue the deeper thing. When we name the lesser desires that we have, it can free us from their power just even by naming it. But when we name the deeper desires that we have, it can also free us to pursue them. It can free us to bring our best to pursuing those deeper things. And so for some of us, like maybe more than pornography, you need to be honest that what you want is intimacy. You want connection. Maybe for some of us, like more than the system, the world that we find ourselves living in where things work for some people and, and they don't work for other people, maybe you need to be honest that under that, you actually want safety and belonging uh, of a true community. Uh, maybe for, for some of us, like instead of living the pursuit of keeping up with the Joneses and trying to have more stuff and look better, we need to be honest that we really, when it all comes down to it, we want to live open and generous lives. We want to be good to one another, but we can only do that when we drill down and we name that deeper desires. And the truth is our desires keep getting colonized and marketed to by all kinds of organizations and products and people uh, that are just trying to tell us what we should really want in order to sell another thing or to get another vote or to whatever it may be for us. And, And I think what Jesus wants to do is he wants to get away with us and say, no, 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 like quiet all of that and tell me what do you really want with this life I've given you? What do you really want. And the power of honestly answering the sacred question is what it reveals in us. It reveals our lesser desires so that we can be free from them, and it can reveal our deeper desires so we can be free to pursue them. And if you actually name what you want, beautiful things can happen. And I had a moment uh, where I experienced this. It was at the start of last year, uh, some of you know, if you know my story and even our church's story, um, at the start of last year, I lost a a good friend of mine who was a leader in this church and really close to many of us along the way. And it it was a tragic, uh, unexpected accident. And and all of us were left reeling and trying to figure out how we could move forward. And um, I was navigating that at the start of last year, not only as a a friend and and as a person named Eric, but also as Pastor Eric, uh, who had the honor and, and the responsibility of officiating his services, his funeral service. And you may or may not know this about me. Like I'm a person who 
doesn't always feel at home in my own skin, but for whatever reason, on a stage with a microphone, I can just do this. <laughs> and uh, so talking like comes very natural to me. But as I was trying to prepare and trying to think about what that service for my friend was gonna look like, I had no words. I, I didn't know what I could possibly say in that moment that would make anything better, that would be helpful. I, I had unanswered questions. I still have unanswered questions, right? And I was just in the thick of it, wrestling through it. I, I mean, candidly, up to the day of his service, I was like, I don't know what to say. I put some stuff on paper just because like I had a job to do, right? And, and I wanted to take care of people, but I, I, was, I don't know what to say. And I was sitting with my friend Daryl, who leads our student ministry. And uh, I remember talking to him about it. And I don't think he used these exact words, but through my conversation with Daryl, I essentially was asked the question, well, what do you want? Right? What do you want to do in this moment? What do you really want? And when I started thinking about that, when I started answering that for myself, I realized I want to honor my friend. Right? That's something that I really wanted in that moment. I want to take care of my friends who are still here. I want to lead this community that, that I had around me, these leaders who were navigating grief and loss and trying to figure out the way forward. And I, I wanted to show up in that way in that moment. And, and even for me personally, I realized I want to do a good job. Like I want to do good, a good job for these people who I care about. And there was something in me naming all of those desires that actually gave me the freedom to figure out how to put some words on a page, how to stand up and speak them about my friend and about the way we loved him that hopefully honored him and helped us all move forward together. But my point in bringing that up is when you get clear about what you really want, it sets your imagination free to serve your deeper desires. L like before going through that, I was just stuck. I, I was spinning my tires. Like, what could I possibly say in this moment? I can't fix it. I can't bring him back. I can't, uh, like, how do I redeem this thing that feels awful to me? I, I was stuck in it. But once I was able to drill down on what I really wanted, I was able to realize that there was plenty that I could say about his life plenty I could say about his legacy, plenty that I could say about defiant joy in the face of loss, plenty that I could say about the nature of faith in these moments. And, and for too many of us, far too often, our imaginations serve our lesser desires, don't they? We can find so many creative ways to make another dollar or, or to look a little better than our neighbors or get another follower or whatever your thing is. But what if you got clear about the deepest, truest things that you want and you allowed your imagination to serve those desires? rather than the lesser things. I mean, sometimes there are people surrounding you who are ready to help you if you're just able to tell them where you want to go. If you're clear about your desires, I've found that so many times. If we get clear on what we want, often other people jump in and they're ready to help, but it starts with us recognizing the deeper thing that's in us. And so jumping back to our story of Jesus and the beggar, it's interesting how Jesus responds to his request. Because Jesus asked the question again, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. See, it turns out the beggar wasn't just asking for money after all. And when he says, I want to see what this beggar, what Bartimaeus is saying, is he's saying, I want to be whole. I want to be healed. I want to be able to have life like everybody else has life. Right? I want things to be different for me. He's longing to see, and in response to that honest and profound answer to that sacred question, here's what Jesus says. He says, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately, Bartimaeus received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And, and for a second, like, think about this story. 
There's a beggar crying out on the side of the road, and Jesus hears him, calls him in front of him, and asks, hey, what do you really want? Jesus asks the sacred question, and it opens him up to give a true, honest, profound, deeper answer where he says, hey, I have this desire for healing and for wholeness. And in response, Jesus calls that honesty. Jesus calls that desire faith. And he says that that faith has healed him. So in this story where a man cries out from his deepest desire, Jesus looks at that and he calls that faith. And I think for so many of us, it's harder than it's ever been to keep having faith these days, isn't it? I mean, faith in anything. Like, you can look around. It's so easy for us to get cynical, for us to get bitter, for us to turn on one another, for us to yell across the aisle or point the finger or comment on Facebook or whatever it may be. It's so easy for us to lose faith. And I wonder if maybe for some of us in the room today, the path to a new life of faith is getting clear on the things that we truly, deeply desire. Being honest with ourselves about what we really want. And maybe it's as simple as saying, hey, I honestly want a genuine belief that's free of all the stuff that gets tagged onto it, right? Maybe for you, telling that to God is the beginning of a little spark of faith that can show up that Jesus says can actually heal you, right? What if in the violent vitriol that we experience in our world today, all the fighting and name calling and division that we can experience, what if you drilled down a little further than that? And we could be people who said, you know what, at the end of the day, I want to pursue justice. I want to live in a world that's good. Maybe for you, naming that is the thing that could be faith and could actually be healing for you if you drill down to that deeper desire. Maybe instead of another drink or another drug or another relationship, you could drill down and understand that the thing you're looking for is intimacy and connection and belonging. And for you, that could be faith and it could be healing and it could set you free. Like what if wanting could actually be the beginning of genuine faith? What if getting in touch with our deepest desires, the things that our souls really crave, is actually the beginning of something that looks like faith? Pope John Paul II, a few years back, uh, was speaking at World Youth Day to these young leaders who are about to step out, and he said something along those lines, that desire actually isn't the enemy of faith, but it might actually be the place where it's found, and he said it in this way, He said, it is Jesus, in fact, that you seek when you dream of happiness. He's waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. Doesn't that sound like what we all actually really want? He's saying that, that if we drill down on it and we get honest about our desires, that Jesus actually cares about all that too that Jesus is actually found in all of that too. So Jesus asks the question of us, what do you want? Because Jesus knows the power in answering. In answering, we can set ourselves free from those lesser desires, and we can set ourselves free to pursue the deeper things that God has put in us. But I want you to notice, as we're wrapping up here, I want you to notice that the beggar 
isn't the only one in the story who does some wanting. The beggar's crying out for Jesus. He wants to be healed. He wants to be whole. But you know who else has some wanting in the story? Jesus. Because Jesus could have ignored the man, like everybody else. But instead, Jesus takes his followers and he says, hey, I want him here. Go get him. Right? I want him here. And, and again and again and again, if you read through the Gospels, if you read through the narrative and the story of Jesus' life, the thing that Jesus again and again and again wants is us. That, that God wants you. And he wants you to be the you he made you to be. He wants you to live out your one wild life with all of the fullness that he's put in you. And, and so here's the invitation today as it comes to this sacred question. Like, what if you had the courage to let God ask it of you? What if you had the courage to let God say, hey, what do you really want? And in so doing, you actually named your desire. You actually named what's driving you right now. What is it that you want in your life? What is it that you want at work? What is it that you want in your family? What is it that you want for this community? Right? You name the part of your life. Like, what is it that you really want? And if it's a lesser desire, what if naming it is the very thing you need to do to set it free, to set yourself free from it? Or if it's a deeper desire, what if that gets your imagination going about how you could actually pursue it? Here's the thing. Naming your desire is an important thing. It's a helpful thing. It's a healthy thing for us as individuals in our faith. But it's even better when we share it in the context of community. So what if not only did you name your desire, but what if you actually had the courage to share your desire with somebody else? What, what if you actually had the courage to like speak it out loud to somebody? Not just anybody randomly on the street. I mean, you can try that if you want. But like, what if you actually found somebody or a group of somebodies who cared about you enough and, and knew Jesus, like were willing to try and move you in the direction of his greatest desires for you? And, and you had the courage to tell them about it. I, I think it could be the very thing that moves you forward on your journey, that opens you up, that moves you in the direction of who God wants you to be. And whether it's petty or whether it's sacred, or somewhere in between. You can't know it until you name it, and you'll be stuck in it until you share it. And, and so what happens when we get in the context of a loving community is we're able to open ourselves up and we're able to actually move forward together. And that's why groups matter. That's why we're inviting you to try a group throughout this season. Uh, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying like show up in your group and just vomit your deepest desires on people that you barely know. That's kind of weird. I mean, if you're that comfortable, go for it, and I hope you're received well. Uh, but what I'm just really asking for all of us is to give it a try. Here's what I've instructed our group leaders to do. Our groups are gonna meet one time uh, over the next couple of weeks. They're gonna provide a meal. So if food motivates you. You should be in already, right? They're gonna provide a free meal, and they're just gonna ask either last week's question or this week's question or both. They're gonna ask, where are you right now? And what do you want, really? And in answering that, the hope is that you would connect with other people and also open yourself up to God, for God to move in your life and through this community that we're establishing. And, and answering like, what do I really want right now? It doesn't have to look like, like revealing your deepest, darkest secrets to people you barely know. It could be as honest as saying like, hey, I want to have a good school year. Right? I want a little peace and quiet at my house because these kids have been crazy all summer. <laughs> like that, that's okay to admit. Maybe for you, it's like, man, I want my faith to feel alive again. And, and it just doesn't right now. That's a powerful thing to admit. Maybe it's, I want a career that feels meaningful, not just a paycheck. That could be an incredible thing to admit. 
to people who love you and create space for you to be you and to be honest in front of God. But it's the invitation for all of us. One of the sacred questions that I think Jesus wants to ask each of us is what do you really want? And then what would it look like with him and with a community of people for you to actually go after that, for you to use your one life for the deepest, most true desires that God has put in you rather than the lesser things that we all can get pulled into? Let me pray for you to that end. God, this is a question that can feel obvious on the surface, but if we're honest, it's much harder to drill down and to be honest about the things that we truly and deeply want. Uh, So I pray for my friends here today that we could be people who trust you enough to open ourselves up, that your spirit would lead us to actually wrestling with like, what are the things that are driving us? What are the things that we want in our lives? And are those lesser things or are they the deepest, truest things that you've put in us? God, I pray for my friends here today who, if they're honest, thinking about this story, they recognize like, hey, I think I'm one of those people in the crowd. (laughs) Like, I think I would pass right by the beggar or worse, I would tell them to go away and, and maybe they're honest enough to admit that they've been excluding people from your community that you only want to invite in. And God, I I pray that they would have the courage to wrestle with that. God, for the people in the room today who have felt like that beggar before, who have felt like they're on the outside looking in at what you're doing in the world, let them know that there's an open invitation, that their story matters to you as much as anybody's. And, And God, for all of us, help us to live our one lives in ways that are true to ourselves and true to what you've put in us. And may we be a community where we draw out the best in one another for the sake of one another and for the sake of this world that so desperately needs us to be the people you've called us to be. God, lead us in that direction. We pray and we ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.